house of the Lord this morning. We're Amen. glad that you are here. Amen. To join us here this morning. Uh, do remember the business meeting this coming Wednesday night. Remember that we have prayer meeting at 5 30 this evening. And uh, we uh, oh yeah, we had three baptisms. Praise three God. of the block. Family members uh, are being <laughs> so we we do ask that you uh, you know that you you uh, be a part of this service here today. Don't try not to rush off unless you got a you know something more exciting. Okay, than people getting baptized. That's right. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So try to be a part of that. Amen. And uh, praise God. Thank you, worship team. Oh, I tell you what, we have got a great worship team. Yes, Amen. Yes. Really Amen. And we're going to call your attention. I don't know, Sister Alicia, does she need her phone to do the podcast? You got it? It's ready. Okay, it's going. Okay, we're going to call your attention this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. We're going to read 18 through 25, a little bit of lengthy reading there, but um, I feel like uh, we need to. And then chapter 3 of the same uh, book, 18 through 19, and then Psalm 14 and 1. And if I could get Brother Ryan, if you would turn those track lights down for me, please. All right, here we go. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Right. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Amen. Yes. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. And in chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And in the last reading, Psalm 14, verse number 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. 
They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Amen. And I would like to preach to you this morning on this thought. Foolish with him or a fool without him. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to ask you if you would, if you'd just lift your hearts to the Lord. I'm going to ask Brother McCune if, if he would pray. Amen. As we enter the preaching of the word of the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you today with thanksgiving and your blessings. We do invite your power and your anointing upon this service, upon your word, that we might receive the instructions we need. We ask your power to touch every mind, heart, and life in this place today. Strengthen us by your spirit and power. Anoint your messenger mightily, Lord God, that we might leave here inspired and uplifted in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth is the, the longest, longest book in the New Testament when you combine both of them together. And uh, a total of 29 chapters. So I think he had something on his mind, don't you? Yeah. He had something on his mind. And... Corinth, the city where this has taken place during this time period, it was the undisputed commercial center of Greece. As far as commercial, it had more going for it than Athens. It had a population estimated during this time, they say, of somewhere around 100,000 people. And Corinth was equally noted for its pagan worship, it, its, its morals was beyond perversion. It was a major stopping point for ships to unload their cargo, for sailors to enter into what we could probably describe as riotous living. It had a very refined culture for the most part, noted for its refinement, eloquence, and learning, but it was a city who prided themselves also in wise philosophers and great thinkers of the day. And the wisdom of their great philosophers of that day would produce a society, listen carefully, it would produce society without God that would result in the pagan worship, their main deity in Corinth was the goddess Venus. They had a temple that 1,000 prostitutes would serve the community at that altar. And it would be into this arena that Paul would stop on his second missionary journey and he would spend 18 months pouring and you can find this in Acts the 18th chapter I challenge you read that short chapter and it will just boggle your mind what this one man did but he for 18 months he poured his heart and his soul into establishing a new church that had never heard 
of this one called Jesus. 18 months time, he established that church and mostly would be made up of non-Jewish believers. It would be about three years later, about three years later that Paul would write to this group because he had heard they were having so much, so many challenges as to how now in the midst of this culture, in the midst of this perverted society, you got to understand they did not have this, folks. And so they were a little bit, they had been hearing for the last three years in Paul's absence, they had had the, the, the philosophers enter into the area of trying to persuade them. And they had the Jewish believers that maintained the law and they said, no way is this but is this aligned with the same God that we serve according to the law? And they were being bombarded with questions of what was lifestyles, what, what, were, what, what can we do, what can we not do? And there was, uh, Paul gave instructions as to uh, prophecy and there was divisions in the church and it, it ultimately got down even to the resurrection. They were questioning whether what Paul had told them was true. And this was a group of new Christians that faced these free thinkers. Anything goes in society. And the new message that had been delivered by Paul was now being perceived as foolishness. And those who believed the gospel Paul had preached were labeled as fools. The definition of fool I will use from the Bible in Psalm 14.1. We read it. A fool according to scripture, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Without a knowledge of God, the rest of that verse, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. That's what a life, a community, a city, a family, a nation, a world without God in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. And they were to this new church, they were saying, well, sure, Paul has his credentials. He was very educated in the law. He was very intelligent. He was very zealous. And the, the, the uh, rumors around town were, yeah, Paul, he's very educated. But the original 12, not so much. They were mostly fishermen and with a very limited education, lacking in social etiquette, no reputation, no civil authority, somewhat dis destitute of learning, no social rank and no wealth. In fact, the story was going around that Two of the main ones, Peter and John, 
They got to the point where they had no silver. They had no gold in their pockets one day. So did the refined culture, the society in Corinth. It, it's foolishness. Paul came back and he understood that in order for the church to be successful, in order for you and me to be successful in our living for God, that the preaching of the cross is the ultimate and the most significant area of the Word of God that still must be preached to believers. Amen. He said, to those that don't believe it's foolishness, he says, but to us that are saved, it is the power of God. Amen. Verse 20, so where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the philosopher? Paul says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? The answer will always begin with the wisdom of the cross at Calvary. Since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. They search. People still search. They go. They find. They try. They look through telescopes. They look through microscopes. They learn about the computer system and, and everything. Knowledge increased, 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 increased. But they forget that the simplicity of the gospel is always going to be centered around the human side of God. That is the human side of God. The Son of God that was manifest in flesh and He hung on the cross and all eyes must always behold Him on that cross. Scripture says because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. I give you, let me read something from from a book that I that I that I read and it's in my library and, and it says our Lord Jesus is both the center and the circumference of divine revelation as the Sun is the center of our solar system and also the power which holds it together so Christ is the magnetic center of Scripture and the unifying theme which makes all four score and six books of the Bible one self-consistent whole as Christ is a central figure of biblical revelation, so the cross is a central factor. Hello. Whatever else our Bible may or not be, it is distinctively and preeminently the book of salvation from sin. And its many-sided doctrine of salvation both centers in and radiates from the Christ of the cross. The precious blood of Calvary, so to speak, sprinkles every page. The doctrine of redemption by the Lamb runs through the Holy Writ like a crimson cord holding all the various parts of the sacred canon together in one. Right. 
Amid the present day world of new ideas, let this shine all the more clearly in our thinking. Jesus is the Lamb of God, is the center point of that message which we are to preach. Sid Baxter wrote that, the master theme of the Bible. You see, Calvary is not a theory. Calvary is not a philosophy. The cross is a fact. Calvary is a fact and a very well-documented fact of which changed and transformed the world. Amen. Paul became so urgent and so fervent in his message that he wanted to explain to these people in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter in verse number 2, he would be so urgent that he told them, he says, I determined the first time I was with you, he says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus said it best in John 12, 31 and 32. The Amplified Bible reads like this. Now the judgment crisis of this world is coming on. Sentence is now being passed on this world. Now the ruler, the evil genius prince of this world shall be cast out and expelled. He said... And if I be lifted up from the earth on the cross, I will attract and draw all men, Gentile and Jew, to myself. He said this to signify what manner he would die. John 3, 14 and 17. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross that whosoever believe that in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The Christ on the cross. Let me give you a couple of points of wisdom from the cross. From the cross. If the church, if what took place at Calvary is the essence of our salvation, which it is, then don't you suppose that the last words of the dying Son of God hanging on that cross. Don't you think those words should be precious in the church's sight? Let me give you a couple of points from wisdom from the cross. What the mob was saying, the mob was saying, Jesus, come down from the cross. They said, He saved others. But he cannot save himself. They were exactly right. Because he cannot save you unless he dies. 
I've used the story numerous times, and it's, you know, it's the best way I can give you that, that the essence of, of what, it, what I mean right there. They said, come down from the cross. If you're the Christ, come down. They said, no, no, no. He cannot save you if he comes down. It was like one day that I was doing my walk on the river and a man stopped me and he said, there's a man drowning out there in that river. I said, really? He said, yeah, look. And he's bobbing up and down and he says, I'm going to try to go for help. You go down there and see if you can, you know, do something. Look around. I'm the only person in the world. And I go down and, and uh, I start yelling at him, yelling at him and yelling at him and I'm, I, I take my jacket off. I'm thinking about jumping in, jumping in, jumping in. But I know if I do that, I will go down with him more than likely. There's the question mark. And finally, the paramedics come and, and they say, uh, and I said, you know, I feel kind of bad because I was unwilling to jump in and save this man. They said, sir, you did the right thing. But my thought was, oh, no, sir, because... The, the day that we are unwilling to risk our lives to save another life mm. is the day that we're lost. Mm. But more than that, and it took me several months before I came to the finally what, what I, I felt that, that, that God impressed me with that was that, sir, you were the one out in the river drowning and Jesus jumped in and he saved you, but he costed his life in the process. You understand that was your son that was drowning in that river. That was your son. That was your daughter. That was your mom. That was your dad. And nobody would risk their life to save them. That's the wisdom from the cross. He could not come down and, and save himself. He had to give it up in order to save you. Let me give you another point. Wisdom from the cross. It's the ultimate. It's, the, it's, it's where you really get this. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know, they don't understand what they're doing. How big, how big is your unwillingness to forgive? How important is it that you covet something in your heart that you cannot forgive when the Lord of all heaven and earth, the human side of God, if you will, on that cross, while you, while we, in the very act of the worst thing that you ever did in your life, He said, I forgive you. You understand wisdom that forgiveness 
according to the world may be foolish, but I'm telling you that forgiveness is one of the keys to a civil and a God-fearing nation or family or even yourself. If you can't forgive, God, Jesus went so far. He said, if you come down to the altar and you leave me a gift and you have odd in your heart against your brother, I will not accept your gift. You understand? Forgiveness. He forgives us. But He says, you need to forgive others as I have forgiven you. It's the wisdom that only comes from Calvary's cross and the one that's hanging there. He said, forgive them for they don't understand who, if they understood who I am. I love this. Number two. He looks down and he says, take care of mom, John. In his worst day, he has this love that still emanates from his heart, the concern for others. Taking care of others. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about taking care of someone else that is in desperate. Their heart is broken. Their heart is wrenched. And the wisdom only comes from the Redeemer, from the Healer, from the Mender that is hanging on the cross. And He says, I am going to take care of things while there is a single breath left in me. How much do you love? Number three, wisdom from the cross. Two thieves hanging on either side. One says, the other one says, hey, wait a minute, you and I, we're, we're deserving of this. He's not. And this, this thief condemned to die, all three of them, he says, Lord, remember me in paradise. There's multiple ideas on that. Where did, where did he end up? I'm telling you, the wisdom from the cross is this, folks. Never downplay a man or a woman or a young person that when they repent and they unload their life, no matter what season of life they're in, I'm here to tell you that repentance is the grand entryway into the kingdom of heaven. It is a sense that you become accountable for what you have done and you know there is no escape route, but you look to the cross and you find the answer to this dilemma of your soul. Wisdom from the cross is finished. And when he says those words, the veil is torn from top to bottom. And the door opens for Jew and Gentile alike to enter into the holiest of holies. Amen. 
wisdom from the cross is that the, the Messiah, that the Son of God, as He expires on that cross, He says, I've done it. I have fulfilled all of Scripture. And there are no, there is no legitimate obstacle that blocks your pathway. The door is not closed anymore. It is open. You can enter into the church. You don't need permission from mom. You don't need permission from dad per se. You don't need permission from your academic teacher or professor in college. No, sir. It is a matter of repentance and asking God to forgive you of your sins. And He will open that door because He paved the way. It is wisdom that comes from the of Calvary. The fruit of the cross. The resurrection. The new birth. Living in victory. A life of purpose. That's the fruit of it. That's the afterglow, if you will. No more barriers. I can love God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. And I can love my neighbor as much as I am capable of loving them. And I can grow and develop into becoming a son of God. You do understand as we baptize you, you do understand that you will become a son or a daughter of God. But then Jesus talked about those that live foolish lives. Matthew 7, 24, 27. There was a wise man that built his house on the rock. And he said, there's a foolish man that built on the sand. And the storm came. Ferocious storm came. And it destroyed the house that the foolish man had built. But when the storm passed away, there was the house that was built on the rock. Listen, if you build on anything else in this life other than Christ, your living rock, you are building on the shifting sands of this world. And this world is a corrupt world. It is not other than the salt of the earth, other than the light of the church. This world is going to pay its price for an evil lifestyle that one day we will not be looked at as the foolish, but they that build their that build their lives on sand, they will become the foolish. First Corinthians seven twenty four twenty seven. That spiritual rock that followed them in the wilderness, that rock was Christ. 
No man can lay any other foundation than that which has been laid. I want you to know that if you're here today and you're having a little bit of a challenge with your life being a little bit unstable because of what's going on, let me introduce to you this morning the Christ that gave His life for you upon Calvary's cross. And He is that rock that is unchangeable. He is secure. You can bet and build your life on Him. Luke 13, Jesus gives us another parable. There was a beggar named Lazarus and there was a rich man. The rich man, God had blessed him so much that he could not contain all of the material blessings that God had put into his life. And he said, oh man, God has blessed me so much with increase of goods that I must build a beggar barn. You understand the cross is not about building a bigger barn here in this life for yourself to enjoy the pleasures of life. <laughs> Come on, church. I'm preaching to you this morning. We're not, it, it's it. It, it is game day. It is fourth quarter. It is a two-minute drill, if you will. This thing is coming to a close. And we are not here to build bigger barns. We are here because God has called us. And we are possibly referred to as the foolish of this world. But I'm telling you, as long as I hold true to the message of the cross, I am a fool for Christ's sake only in this world. Bigger Barnes syndrome and, and Jesus is and but that night that night God called him a fool. He says how fool he says, it's not your soul. I'm calling. I know that's sturdy stuff, huh? Come on. Huh? That's a little bit spine tingling, if you will, right? We don't want to hear that too much. Hello? We need to hear that. You have no guarantee. And you can read the rest of that. It's not preferred reading. <laughs> Amen. You understand? We're not, you're not, if you're building your life on, if you are placing, listen to me carefully, listen to me carefully. If you are placing your family's lives in the security of building bigger barns and building an unstable life without God, oh my, I pray for you this morning. Because it's not about you. And then let me speak to the church real quick. 
There was ten virgins. Five wise, five foolish. Listen carefully, they were all virgins. Hello? And I've said it, it is worth repeating. Just because you are a virgin does not mean that you are saved. Just because you are sitting on that seat does not mean that you are in that seat. And the five, the five, Jesus said there were five of them. They were foolish. Five were wise. Five were foolish. What was foolish about them, Lord? Well, because at midnight... The hour you think not, Sister Gillen. Five, all of the, all ten of them, probably, apparently, I don't know, were in the church, possibly, but five of them were unprepared. They were lukewarm in their walk with God. That Holy Ghost of fire had gradually decreased and diminished in their life, and it was just smoking mares. But it did not stop the voice of God from penetrating the universe. He said, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Secular optimists are merely wishful thinkers, having discovered the present payoffs of optimism. They conduct seminars and write books about positive thinking. Sometimes they capitalize on optimism by becoming rich and famous. But then what happens? They eventually get old or sick. And when they die, they are unprepared to meet God. Their optimism is ultimately an illusion. For it fails to take eternity into account. You cannot think your way into heaven. You must obey the scriptures. You must be born again. You must repent of your sins. And you must be baptized for the remission of those sins. And then you need the power, the gift of the Holy Ghost inside of you. That sets your soul on fire. The Christian chooses to live a lifestyle that appears foolish by the world's standards. But to those who choose to live by faith, Brother Brian, if you could put up there real quick, 1 Corinthians 15 and 50 through 55, and then 
we, we also will need 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 to 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 55. But I tell you this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You are a spiritual being by design. You are created in the image of God. You are a, if you will accept the gospel, if you will accept what was done for you on Calvary, then you can have a new birth. But he said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Evil will never stand as an enemy of good or God. It will be defeated. It has already been defeated, but the game's just not over yet. 51, behold, I show you a mystery. The world says foolishness. But oh, this is my hope. This is what I live for. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Yes, God. Amen. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the bridegroom cometh, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible flesh must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptor will have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? As you stand, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Come on. For if we believe, if we believe yes. that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, Amen. that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are in the grave. For the Lord Himself shall descend Amen. from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, O Corinthians. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
I'm here to declare to you, wherefore comfort one another with these words. The world is living a lifestyle that is based on shifting sand and foolishness. But the church this morning, we are living as fools for Christ's sake because we understand that it is the foolishness of God's wisdom. He didn't hide it. He didn't hide it. He displayed it. Open. Before all the world to see. His saints and they're saying they can try to they can try to kick Calvary under the carpet, you understand. The philosopher, they can try to erase the history books. But they'll never erase what took place. On Calvary's cross. They will never erase. What God has done. And what he is doing. In the lives of those that choose. To live. To live. Foolishly. To have a foolish. Vibrant faith. For him. In the midst of a world. That says you don't. Really fully. You don't believe the whale story, do you? You don't believe the talking donkey, do you? You don't believe that Elisha, that his dead bones, rotten bones, dried up bones, a man that was dead fell in the grave, touched his bones, and he came on. You don't believe that stuff. Yes, I believe that stuff. Yeah, I believe it. Amen. And I believe that when my sins were washed away in water baptism, that Jesus didn't just forgive me. You understand? We have the power to forgive, but Jesus has something that is so powerful it blows my mind because He doesn't just forgive, but He forgets. And you cannot forget because we're human and we're scarred. Whatever hurt's been done, people say, will you forgive me? Well, yeah, I forgive you. But you always, you, you always remember. But listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. You got to live for God with this, with, with this mindset that, that He does not keep score. And He does not track you with a GPS. No, sir. He respects you. And He leaves choices in life to you. And He knows that if you will always look, if you will always look to the cross, you cannot get mixed up. But it's when we get off the cross and, you know, we get into, you know, just see it and believe it. You know, and you're cool, you know. No, 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 there's nothing cool about the cross. There's no cool there. Huh? No cool. I believe it. 
we're going to have a baptism. We're going to baptize three folks here today, but I would like to ask that the elders of the Block family, please, those that are getting baptized, I would like you, if you would be so kind, just to make sure, okay, that if you would lead them in repentance here at the altar, would you do that for us? We want to. We we just want to make sure we understand, okay. Those that need, listen, if you're here today, if you need a miracle, I assure you, I assure you that the price that was paid, it's rich enough Come on. to cover anything that you've got in your life. Amen. Whatever you got in your life going in the eyes of God is peanuts. Come on. If you if you got if you need a healing, God's here today. Amen. You need a miracle, God's here today. If you're here today and you're contemplating giving your life to God and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I'm here. Please, 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 please consider where you are at today. Brother Ali, thank you for that message this morning. Amen. 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 Would you come? Would you come? Those that need special prayer, would you come? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.